make yourself manifest through your servant today that even with corrupt flesh, you might speak your word clearly, purely. For the sake of your people, we pray. Amen. I'd like to open with a little, uh, I, I guess, a bit of prose that uh, comes from a man named Wilbur Reese, who says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not new birth. I want about a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. That's Wilbur Reese, $3 worth of God. Let's turn to scripture. We're gonna read from the book of Numbers. We'll read uh, chapter 14, starting at verse 39. You have pew Bibles and devices handy, so you can follow if you like. As you probably have surmised, we're going to try to, as much as possible, keep up with the Bible in 90 days readings that you're all actively participating in. And uh, so, whether you're here or not, this may be of some value to you as you come to this place in your reading. Chapter 14, verse 39. When Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and they went to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised for we have sinned. But Moses said, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed. Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be stuck down, struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed... They presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. And then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. That's the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wiggled my glasses a little bit in the middle of all that, and all of a sudden the words kind of went. Blah, blah, blah. I heard somebody in one of the B90 classes say how much comfort it gave them when I said they had my permission to go blah, 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 whenever they got to a word they couldn't pronounce. I guess you can do that if your glasses fail you as well. So, <laughs> so this rebellion that is described in the book of Numbers, it, it represents a larger issue that is very common even today. And it really comes down to this. Uh, it's like that thing I just read to you. People wanted $3 worth of God. Um, the people of Israel are in a situation as they wander in the wilderness, heading towards the promise, where they're having to define themselves no longer as the people of the flesh who lived under 
a, a satanic representation in Egypt and to devote themselves entirely to God. And so this whole program of wandering in the wilderness is designed to remake them for God's holy people, to, to convert them once and for all. And whether we like to hear it or not, God deals in an all or nothing kind of way. It's not as though God accepts compromise. Um, we do, however. We have a tendency to accept compromise. And so people will often say that they believe in God and that they're Christian, but what they're really professing is sort of an easy belief system where you have faith in a God who promises to save you from falling out of existence altogether after you die. I mean, let's, let's be honest, okay? I, I mean, I, I hope you've picked up on the, throughout this, this wilderness journey that we've called 2020 and the COVID crisis, I hope you've picked up on the fact that I've decided that that is God's time for us to refine ourselves as a people, as a family of faith here at Shiloh. And, and quite honestly, what has occurred to me is, is that many, many Christians, and I'm not saying anybody here, I'm just saying in general, many, many Christians, in my observation, uh, are people who are living for the day, they're living for their flesh, they're living to have the best life they can before they die, and they're counting on going to heaven after they die. And that seems reasonable on a certain level because that is what we feel like we bargained for when we decided that we would accept Christ's gift of eternal life. You know, we, we want what the thief on the cross was promised on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. We want to be promised paradise after we die. And so many, many Christians, like these people described in this passage, live according to the flesh and they live for the days and months and years that they're prescribed and then figure heaven is something they can look forward to after they die. But this is really so far from what it means to be the people of God. This is so far from what that means. And so it's very stressful and, and troubling, you know, for a spiritual leader to stand in front of people and say, it's not as though your best isn't good enough, but are you striving for your best? That's the question. Are you striving for your best? And your best is a life entirely devoted to God. Where when we succumb to the weakness of the flesh, it's not something that we want or desire. It's something that happens because our flesh is weak. Because even the Apostle Paul, who I think probably could be counted as one of the more excellent examples of Christian life, was, you know, a persecutor of Christians, and it took him, you know, about 14 years to really turn his life around to where he was entirely devoted to Christ. And he said that he has a willing spirit, but a weak flesh. And so it isn't as though we're proposing that you should give in to the flesh entirely because it's weak, nor are we proposing that you should take the spirit as, uh, as this unattainable thing you can't reach. It, it, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's, just, it's like 
The idea is to have a heart for God, to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. And this is evident all throughout scripture. And so now those of you who are reading the Bible entirely through, you're seeing this pattern already. You're, you're only you know, you're only through Exodus and Numbers right now, and you're already seeing this pattern that, that it isn't the, the human excellence that makes certain characters usable by God. I, I, Phil was just asking me before the service, you know, that Jacob, really? Can we talk about Jacob for a minute? What a character. He and his mom conspire to steal his birthright from his older brother, and they pull it off. And then when Jacob is ready to take the birthright that he thinks he's owed from God, he has to fight for it, right? And so he wrestles with God all night long. And, you know, I got to use this, Phil, because it was good. It's just like, it's like God's going, you know, I can take you, right? <laughs> and yet for some reason, he's letting him, you know, it's like one of those arm wrestling matches where they're grossly outmatched and the, and the stronger one's just going, yeah, <laughs> you know? And, and then when, when Jacob proves how badly he wants God's blessing. God says, okay, we're done, you know, and then he wounds his side and it's over, the fight's over. He's like, boom, right? And then God says, your name is now Israel, the people who contend with God. And Jacob becomes a blessing to the following generations, a blessing to us even. Is it because of his exemplary character? No. <laughs> Is it because he wants, deeply desires a relationship with God that is covenantal and he desires it so much he's willing to fight all night long for it? He sees the angels riding that escalator up to heaven and he says, I want on that ride and I want it bad. There is the heart of what I hope to transmit to you today. It is not that we in our perfect Christian character please God. It is in our perfect devotion to God, our relentless struggle to be in a covenant relationship with God. That is the thing. I called this message under the influence because frankly, this is, this is the story you've already witnessed throughout your reading of scripture up to this point. And, and we're just getting started, you know, I'm thinking of, of uh, a certain movie where the guy says, I'm just getting warmed up. We're just getting started. And the message we got is you're either under the influence of God or you're under the influence of Satan. Get it? What happened in the garden? They were under God's influence. Satan snuck in there, decided to influence them too. They decided to buy his influence. They got kicked out of the garden. Now it's a little harder to get God's influence, but not impossible. And Satan is right there constantly. You know, and, and when I was little, and a lot of you remember this, you know, it was always portrayed as a little red devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other shoulder, right? And, and it's, it's really like that. One, one truth is being whispered into our ears and one lie is being whispered into our ears every moment. And the question is, who is influencing you? Well, our culture isn't exactly working for the good Lord. I guess you've probably figured that out. 
which is why we need this refuge regularly where we gather with other people who desire God with the same earnestness that we do, right? That's really what the fellowship of the believers is. It is a, a community, a family that is uplifting one another in a lot of ways, but it's also a family that can, if not carefully led, become like this group of people who by definition are the people of God because he spared them from slavery in Egypt. He brought them through the water. You know, God has already taken care of these people that we just read about, but at this point, a group of them become very influential and they lead many to their destruction. And as you read through the numbers and you read through the journey across the promised land, you'll see this over and over again. One or two you know, charismatic people fall under the lead. Look for Dathan, by the way. Just look for him, right? It's uh, uh, Edward G. Robinson in the Ten Commandments, right? You know, and who can resist him, right? I know you people that don't know old movies are just looking at me like, what the heck is he talking about? You don't say no to Edward G. Robinson, trust me. And so the influential people who are under the influence of Satan will lead you astray. I mean, guess what? This sounds like old school preaching, but that's because we're reading a Bible that was laying all this out for us very plainly. And so guess what happens to these people? They go, well, we didn't want to do it the way Moses told us to do it because it's too hard. And we didn't want to believe in something that seems spooky or weird, so we just said, nah, we're not going to do that. But now that you've told us God is really angry with us, we kind of feel bad about it. So tell God we're sorry, and we're going to go ahead and take on the enemy right now. And Moses says, you don't understand. You went one too many times under the influence of the enemy and if you go up against your physical earthly enemies, you're going without me. And then of course they go to their destruction. Now many, many times in church life, as you meet in your small groups and you develop these sacred intimate relationships, there will be members among your groups who will say that their life is harder than it should be and they thought God was gonna take care of this and take care of that and someone in the group with grace and love will speak the truth and the truth will be something along the lines of at what point did you walk so far away from God that you thought he was still walking with you but you couldn't hear him back there anymore, right? You know, because that, that's the problem. And it isn't as though we fall out of God's favor because the gospel is really special that way. The gospel says that no matter how badly you screw this up, as long as you maintain your faith in Christ, you know, this is gonna work out. But the other thing that we are told throughout the, the, the gospel preaching of the New Testament is, is that we should strive for a more intimate relationship with God because there are no barriers anymore to that relationship. But just because there's no barrier to the relationship the same problem that existed in Eden still exists today. You have a tree of life, which is God, God's very nature, and you have a tree of death, which is the counterfeit that Satan erected. And throughout all the Bible, you will see over and over again how Satan is always putting up counterfeit 
impressions of God so that it looks like God's thing, but it's not God's thing. And God will be there to say, don't eat that. I promise you, if you eat that, you're going to regret it. But this is the same God who also, for the sake of the ones who were fooled by the tempter, allowed the killing of innocents so that they could be covered in the flesh by the skins of the innocent animal. In other words, we'll always be presented with the true God and the counterfeit. And we'll always have the opportunity to choose God. But when we choose the counterfeit, we're not unredeemable yet. God still can save you. So the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the flesh can be easily fooled. This is why it's so important to be a part of small groups in the life of the church, intimate groups where there's a, a, a point and counterpoint conversation about uh, Christian integrity. You know, it, to be a part of some kind of conversation where you're holding yourself accountable with others for searching for the truth. You know, there are people, and I'm, I'm one of them on a certain level, who would say, you know, I don't need to go to a church building to worship God. I can worship God out in the woods. And you know, that's true because there are times of intimacy in the wilderness with God, literally and figuratively, but you are not complete as a citizen of Christ's kingdom without other citizens of Christ's kingdom. You know, we need government. Like, you know, I know it's hard to say these days because some of us are pretty disillusioned with the government, but, but my point is, is that whenever people join together in society, there needs to be government. There needs to be, you know, uh, purpose and, and function that, that kind of, you know, keeps chaos at bay. And remember, chaos is where the enemy can always be found. And so I guess what I'm saying is, is that you are more apt to be influenced by the enemy when you wander off alone and get too close to that tree of death and Satan finds you vulnerable. Watch a good nature video. You know, what happens to the one that wanders away from the herd? This is true in our Christian lives, so much so that, that Scripture tells us that Satan is like a lion prowling and looking for the one who strays from the herd so that he can devour them. And so if anything has been proven to us over the last year, it is how much we need each other and look around you. You needed to be here. You needed to see other people in the pews with you. It needed to happen because it didn't feel complete. It didn't feel right when you were sitting at home with your hot curlers on. <laughs> it didn't feel right when Pastor Dan was wearing his shorts below the camera, <laughs> but his nice nappy vest in front of the camera, right? You know, it, it was better than nothing but we needed that community. And we need it for more reasons than we realize. And so I, I, I just really, with all my heart, want to urge you to please engage in this Bible in 90 Days challenge. Many of you have, and I've been overwhelmed, joyfully overwhelmed, because it says to me there's a lot of people in this congregation who are hungry for the word. 
For, for clarification for anybody that's new, when we talk about the word of God, we mean with a capital W and that refers back to a Greek word that means logos and the word logos means the heart and mind of God, okay? And so when we speak truth and love, what we're doing hopefully is speaking the heart and mind of God who is influencing our heart and mind. So when we talk capital W word, that's what we're talking about, the very expression of God's heart and mind. And when we gather to do that together, then, then the Lord shows up in the Holy Spirit and the communion of the saints starts to happen. And, and honestly, the larger the group, the harder it is to have honest, intimate interactions. That's why I'm urging you to also be a part of small groups from here forward as you journey with Christ, especially in our reading of the scriptures. But there's a continuity throughout scripture and that's one of the reasons we're reading the entire Bible is because you're gonna recognize that these themes that I've touched on are repeated over and over and over again. And honestly, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you know that when there's something you really want your kid to absorb, you tell them over and over and over again. As Jack Benny used to say, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. And you know what? I just want you to know I get a kick out of using those references just to see if there's anyone who knows what I'm talking about. And if you're too young to know what I'm talking about, just get over it. I don't know any of your contemporaries and I can't really say anything funny that they ever said. So if you can't laugh with me, laugh at me. I can take it. Bible reading lovers of God recognize that God's rules and interventions are meant to strengthen God's relationship with God's people. I wrote that down and I liked it so much I wanted to read it just like I wrote it. Discipline and consistent devotion to God are acts of love rather than formulas for acquiring God's blessing. I wanna repeat that again. Discipline and consistent devotion to God are acts of love rather than formulas for acquiring God's blessing. Many people, as I started out saying, dangerously, go to church and follow certain courses of religious activity because they wish to gain God's favor. They feel that if they accumulate enough in their time of need, in their hour of certain destruction, God will come through for them because they've paid into the account and earned interest. And that's just not how it works. God desires a relationship with you. To obey is better than sacrifice, says Samuel. This is what it means. A relationship with the living God ties your temporal existence to the eternal. And that is the point. The point is not that we live for a little while and die, but that when we become fully functional followers of Jesus Christ, we become eternal and it remains that way until forever. Some of you know I have this devotion to a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. It's kind of an odd name for the book, but basically it's his way of describing the continuity of life as a Christian that doesn't change because we pass from the death of the, the life of the flesh to the death of the flesh. 
And that really came home to roost with me a year ago at this time when I had just experienced my father's death. And, and for me, that's like the closest uh, person to me up to this point. And, and I remembered thinking, you know, there's a lot of things about my dad I didn't understand and, and you know, didn't get right as, as I interpreted our relationship. But he probably would say the same thing, especially now, because his flesh died, but his spirit just kept on going. And he got to a place when he left this flesh behind when he was no longer burdened by all the crud that corrupts the flesh. And you know, even these gray cells can get a little corrupt at times. He went from a filtered light to the full light of God's presence. He went from ignorance of many things and denial of many things simply because his flesh had been so deeply wounded and his soul had been so deeply wounded at times that he wasn't clear enough to see certain things for what they were to a place of light where all of a sudden he can now be transformed in his nature in a way that he was unable to because of the weakness of the flesh. In other words, this relationship with God that we are cultivating every day is meant to be an ongoing, eternal relationship. And the sooner you invest in it now, the more likely you are to bear fruit and, and, and I think more importantly, to be under the influence of God's Spirit in this life. And yet you have God's grace to assure you that your body and your spirit, your, your, your body is weak, it, it, it's corrupt, you know? And so some of these gray cells have got some messed up things going on that change the way we look at things, that change the way we respond to certain people. And, and, and they develop a certain, you know, you, you've heard a lot about muscle memory over the last decade or so. Well, your brain's got the same problem. There's certain things that every time you push a certain button, your, your brain has a tendency to respond the same way. And so if you were traumatized at five years old by a certain series of events, if anything should smack of that in your years as an 85-year-old, you're apt to turn into a five-year-old for a few minutes because your body's developed a certain memory of that trauma and tried to resist it but you still occasionally fall short of where you want to be no matter how you desire to be more perfected in Christ. But I can tell you that like any other discipline, the more you do it, the more you win the battle. So don't wait till you die. Start now. Get to work on cultivating the intimacy with God that comes through God's word and the family of faith. Read scripture, be a part of the family of faith, especially in a small intimate group, which doesn't necessarily have to be one that's made up of entirely Shiloh people that meets here in the building. I don't care, just, just get into a small group with other Christian believers and urge each other on and hold each other accountable for holiness in the spirit even though the flesh is weak. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. That is the logos. Now impress upon us those things that are absolutely from you and for you so that we might see transformation not only in our personal nature but in our corporate nature as a family devoted to you. We pray for your, your 
your Christ and our King's namesake. Amen. Thank you.